We are going to take on a, a, a purpose here today. And as the morning is unfolding, I'm almost talking myself out of it. Because I don't know that it's possible to accomplish what I'm going to try and accomplish here today. At least not in an hour. I don't, <laughs> but this is what I had dropped in on me, uh, as we were looking. And the only way to accomplish this is in the book of Kings. It's the only way to accomplish it. It is only possible to see this through the kings of Israel, not the kings of Judah. You cannot see this concept in the kings of Judah. You can see it in the kings of Israel, and there's a reason for it. And we'll show you that reason as we're going on. But when you get done and you look at this, this big picture, you will see something about the ministry of the prophet and about your ministry in particular that you may not see if you don't see this whole big picture. We are going to be reading a lot of scripture. I hope that after we get done, you can still say, I love my pastor. <laughs> because we're going to be throwing a lot of stuff at you. But I, I'm going to bypass all the details of teaching all these, all these different stories along because I need you to see the overall picture. And if you don't go through all of these, you won't see the overall picture. And you kind of have to do it all at one time. So this is what we're going to try and do. And so we're going to get going here. First Kings chapter 11. Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite met him on the way. And he had clothed himself in a new garment and there were two alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon who will give 10 tribes to you, but he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me, worship the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Kamosh, the god of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself, to put my name there. So I will take you, you shall reign over all your heart desires, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did. Then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Now this is the prophecy that started it. Up until now, we have one royal family in Israel and that is the family of David. But this is going to change, and we're going to split. Now we're going to have two royal families. We're going to have the royal family of the north and the royal family of the south. The reason you cannot teach this, what I'm going to show you, in the area of Judah is because there is never any more than one royal family. The only place that you have the transition from one royal family to another is in the north. That's why we're, we're sticking with them. Yeah, we skipped a little bit too far ahead there. Why did it go out that way? All right. <laughs> in verses 29 through 37, we have the part where God says, I will. This is the part that he will do. This part is based on Jeroboam's faithfulness up till now. 
And because of what Jeroboam has done in the area of faithfulness, God says, I will, because of what the house of David has done as far as idolatry, that has caused God to say, I will. Everything on those verses is not based on anything happening future. It is based on everything that has already occurred. So what God will do in these first verses is not going to change. Because what has been done to bring it about is already accomplished. But then he gets to verse 38. And in verse 38 he says, Then it shall be, then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will build with you, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and I will give Israel to you. So this is what he's, he's promised. If you, if you heed, if you walk, if you do, if you keep, if you do these things, then this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build for you an enduring house, just like I have for David. That's the promise. Now, there is one part here in the end. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. This one part here at the end. How many read this and say it looks pretty clear? Yep. This is the part that the enemy is going to use to mess with Jeroboam. That one last little sentence is going to mess Jeroboam up. You see, what happens here is that as soon as Jeroboam takes the throne, we come to verse 26 in chapter 12. We're skipping around a lot. You can go on home and read all this. I have, in order to get ready for this, I read first and second Kings. Just to get ready for this. Most of that I'm not going to use. So you can go home and read it too. <laughs> It'll do you some good. Just sit on down and have a good time reading it. Verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. Look at what God said. I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not Forever. Jeroboam says, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. Where did he get that notion? The enemy takes the words that God puts in you and begins to try and pervert them. Just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He wants to take the word that God spoke, which was clear, and mess with them. And if you mess with them just a little bit, you will accept something that's not true. And so he was able to drop in the thought, remember God said he won't afflict them forever? That means there's coming a time when Israel is going back to David. Now you better do something to stop that. Because God even told you it was going to happen. And when that happens, they're going to kill all your family. His mind is processing all this sort of stuff. And he comes up with that. Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. So he comes up with a way, read the rest of the chapter if you want, 
we got to find a way that they don't have to go down to Jerusalem anymore, make the sacrifices, worship God in the temple. They don't need the priests down there. We've got to make us completely independent of what's happening down south. And so he comes up with a worship of Jehovah that is false. He mixes in his own type of, of things, his own truth. He mixes in his own feast days. He makes priests of anyone. But this is all for the worship of Jehovah. And then he sets up the golden calves so that they can worship them. But they're not supposed to do that. These golden calves are supposed to remind them of Jehovah. But they're not supposed to have an engraven image of God. So he takes them down this way because the enemy was able to pervert this this one thing. The prophetic word never says may. Never says may. It never says they may. They may leave him. They may return to the house of David. Never says that. It had been perverted and came to mean something different from its intent. Now, if you want a tagline for this for this uh, message, here it is. You got to fill it in on your outline. But this is this is your tagline. We don't usually do that, but it came to me for this one. <laughs> Perversion of content always leads to confusion of intent. Perversion of content always leads to confusion of intent. If the enemy can confuse the words, he can change the intent. Now, if he changes the intent, you will be off purpose. And that's the, that's the big thing. He wants to get you off purpose. It is imperative that we know what God said and keep those words before us. You got to do it. That's where the prophet's ministry comes in. The prophet's ministry is to give you the words that God spoke. That's different from the other four in the fivefold ministry. The prophet is to give you the words that God spoke. They're not to give you their interpretation. They may and tack it on at another spot, but make sure that you know this is the interpretation. A prophet may teach, but that's not their prophetic word. Just like a pastor may have a prophetic word, but that's not the purpose of their ministry. That may be something that they dip into here and there. But a prophet, this is their ministry. And a good prophet is one who reflects the word of God Perfectly. I'll put it to you this way. Four of the five ministry gifts are to get before the throne of God, understand what God wants to communicate, and then turn around and communicate it to the people that they are there. That's the apostle. That's the pastor. That's the teacher. That's the evangelist. But the prophet is not to do that. The prophet is merely to reflect what happened in the throne room. The rest of them present it, but the prophet reflects it. The more prophet you get in on that reflection, the less pure the word. You've got to eliminate the aspect of the prophet. You've got to keep it pure. This is why Ezekiel is so pivotal to understand the ministry of a prophet, because this guy got himself out of the equation. You want to know how much he got out of the equation he got? God comes to him and says, 
I'm going to take your wife. That's one time God did take somebody. I'm going to take your wife and you are not going to be sad about it. Got it? No sadness. No mourning. This is going to happen. She's going to be dead tomorrow. Now, if God gives you that word, what would you do? <laughs> would you tell your wife? <laughs> would you? I mean, I mean, that's an all-encompassing ministry right there. And he did exactly what God said. See, he got himself completely out of the equation. I was listening to some more prophets this week, and I don't, I don't know, it just, it's one of those things that just bothers me. Why does a prophet have to change the way they talk? When you're given a prophecy. Why do you have to change the way you talk? Now, this is what came to me about it, and I've told a few of you uh, over, the, over the course of this, but this is what came to me about it. They do it because that was what their mentors did. Their mentors changed the way they talked. They talked in old King James, or they, they uh, pronounced their words differently, or whatever it was. They do that. But that's a reflection of the prophet in the message. See, they just don't have the goal to get rid of that. You need to get rid of that. You shouldn't change the way you talk. You ought to talk. If you're going to be in a prophet's ministry, you should talk exactly the way you talk any other time. Not all of a sudden get into God in two syllables. <laughs> and all that other stuff that happens with it. You don't need to. Now, make sure you don't turn it off just because they, they messed up that part of it. Don't turn it off. You still got to listen. You got you to hear the words of a prophet. But I got to sometimes weed some of that stuff out. I don't know about you. But I, I listen to him and say, just give me the, what did God say? <laughs> that's all I want. Just tell me what God, that's your job. That is your one job. Tell me what God said. I don't care about all the other stuff you want to do. Tell me what God said. That's what I need to know. Because more so than anyone else, they are to be before the presence of God, hear the words of God and come down and, and say them. But if I have God's word exactly as he said it, I may understand it one way today but as things unfold, I will understand it better or differently. But I have to know what he said. This is how you get perverted. Jehosh, uh, Jeroboam has this thing. It may be. But if he held on to the words that God spoke to him, he wouldn't come up with that. He needed to stay with it. Same way Adam and Eve. If they would have stayed with the words that God said, they, they wouldn't have come up with that. All right. Now, I, I toyed with getting into this. I'm going to do it next week instead. So remind me. <laughs> there is a difference in the way that a prophet is called compared to the other four. Not everyone has understood this from the word. And because of it, there are many pastors, teachers, evangelists, and apostles following a call in the same way that a, that a prophet was. And prophets trying to follow a call the same way a pastor, teacher, Apostle or evangelist does. I'll show you to you in a word. Can't get into it right now because we're not going to get into all this. But I have a whole page here. We're going to eliminate one whole page. Go down to chapter 14, verse 1. Now I'm going to skip some of this, but it's all good for you to read. Go on home and read the rest of this. But here we have that, that uh, one of, well, Jeroboam, has a son who's on the throne. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. His son is, uh, is sick. Jeroboam's son is sick. And so Jeroboam sends his wife to the prophet who told him he was going to be anointed for this, this position. But he says, disguise yourself. Don't go there looking like the king's wife. 
In other words, get some older clothes. Get some, some poor looking clothes. And then, and go on over there and present yourself to them. And do that. Now, here's a, I think I mentioned this to you before, but in the ministry of a prophet, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, we have two groups of prophets. We have the one group which are consulted and the other group which are sent. I do not find too many that are sent open to being consulted. And I don't find too many that are consulted thereby being sent. It seems they are either sent. Elijah, for an example, is a sent one. No one comes to ask Elijah what the word of the God, word of God is. If he shows up, he's got a word for you. Elisha is a consultant. People can come and consult him on the word of God and often do. But you don't see that, that mix. You might have, might find a few things here and there, but for the most part, it seems that they stay on one side or the other. They're either a sent one or the one in which they come and they, they ask them. Micaiah, remember we looked at him? We only have one episode of him being there, but it seems that he's a sent one. You send for Micaiah and he'll give you the word of, word of God on the thing. So anyway, they're, they're conspiring this to have her go and to find out about their son, and whether he'd be healed. Verse 5, Now the Lord said to Ahijah, Here is the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Now Ahijah we have being sent to Jeroboam. Now he's being consulted. That's why I brought up that at the other point to you. At least they attempt to consult him. And you will see it gets shut down. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Now look at this. Is he sent to her? <laughs> but as far as, as far as he's concerned, he's sent. He may not be able to make the journey himself. She made the journey, but God sent him. He said, I'm sending you to her. Just wait here. She's coming. So he's still a sent one, even though they're trying to consult. And because they, she gets in there, she can't consult him. She can't say, this is what I want to ask you about. He's already got the word for her. Go tell Jeroboam. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Can you imagine coming into somebody and disguising yourself, pretending to be somebody else, and they come in and said, I know who you are. Go tell your husband Jeroboam. <laughs> Man, that'll mess with you. Because I exalted you, keep this, in, you gotta, you gotta keep, watch this and see this. This is why I want you to see this whole thing over here. The, the overall part. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people. Who exalted him? God did. And made you ruler over my people Israel. Who did it? Keep that verse in mind. It's real important to keep that verse in mind for something that's going to happen down the road here. Because I'm going to tell you something that you may not know is in the Word. And I'm going to use that as proof. And tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart to do what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you, for you have gone and made yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. 
Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. And I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is gone. Verse 11. The dog shall eat whomever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field for the Lord has spoken. Have you ever heard that condemnation pronounced on someone before? How many will say yes? The rest of you are just afraid. <laughs> yes, there is. Keep that in mind. Now, what kind of view must you have of God that you think you can come into His presence and trick Him to get a word that you want? They don't have a very good view of God, do they? Now, Jeroboam had been faithful to other people and received God's attention for the call, but he was unfaithful in the purpose for which God gave him. There are three things you're going to see inside here for purposes that God gave them. First off, there is the purpose of why God is putting them in the position. Secondly, the purpose of the king is to make sure that idolatrous worship is eliminated because it comes from the top. They must make it, they must get rid of it out of the kingdom. Every time it is eradicated in the kingdom, it starts at the top. Now you say, well, Elijah did it on the mountain. Yes, with Ahab present. He got him involved. It has to start from there. So this is the second thing. Get rid of the idolatrous worship. Third is to keep the worship of Jehovah pure. David did that. Not many did. But David did that. Josiah worked to bring the purity back into the worship of God. Jehoshaphat as well. Asa, others. They work to keep the worship of God pure. Those are three purposes I want you to keep keep in mind, or, or three aspects of the king that you're going to keep in mind. As far as Jeroboam was concerned, he failed on the purpose, he failed on the idolatry, and he failed in keeping the, the worship of God pure. Failed on all three. And look what happens. He is condemned. Dogs going to lick the blood. Birds. Dogs and birds. I almost called this of dogs and birds. In fact, that's what I started off with. I was going to call it this way. And I, I took that out because <laughs> it came up with something a little more, uh, more in line with that. Verse 12. Arise, therefore, go to your own house. This is terrible. I'll tell you what a way to, to hurt and to punish a mom. But they were doing evil things. Arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And always you shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of the Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Can you believe that? God's going to take him because he's the only one who's got a little bit of good in it. He didn't say a lot of good. He said a little bit of good. So we're going to spare him from the disaster that's coming on this house. <laughs> I remember a story. I don't have time for it. Let's go. <laughs> I'd love to tell you that story right now. I don't have time for it. Verse 14. So if you were a mom and you're given that word, as soon as you enter into the city, your son dies. I mean, how many of you are contemplating? I'll just stay out here. <laughs> 
She's going to stay around out here. And don't you think she wandered around for a while? I don't think she made a beeline to get back in there. But eventually she does get go back in. And when she steps into the city, I mean, he didn't say he's going to die in an hour. He said, when you step back into the city, he's dead. Do you tell that word to Jeroboam? Well, he said as soon as I would walk into the city that he would die. I don't think Jeroboam too glad to hear about that. He probably said you should have stayed out there. <laughs> I just, how I see Jeroboam at. Verse 14, Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What even now? What's the Lord going to do? First thing, he is going to raise up a king to do what? To cut off the house of Jeroboam. God is going to raise up a king to cut off the house of Jeroboam. I am emphasizing this for a reason. Because there is something missing in the Bible that is actually there. We're going to show it to you. For the Lord will strike Israel as the reed is shaken in the water and will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. That's the idolatry. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and made Israel sin. That's the false worship. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah. And when she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And they buried him. And Israel mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through the house to his servant, Ahijah the prophet. Hmm. Well, this is, this is not good, is it? Verse six, verse one of chapter sixteen. A whole more, de- a lot more detail we could get into in that, but that's that's enough for right now. Verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu the son of Hanani against Basha, saying, "Inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam, have made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sin. Surely I will take away the posterity of Basha and the pro- posterity of his house." And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. We are in chapter 16. We ended in chapter 14. How many know how many chapters in between? There is one chapter in between. If you want to read a chapter when you're going home, read chapter 15. I want you to look for one particular thing. When was the prophet dispatched to call Basha? You can look. But you know what? didn't show up. But I know he was there. Here's how I know it. Because God said in the previous one, I'm going to raise up a king to cut off the house of Jehoshaphat. And Basha is that guy. He raised him up to cut off. So he had to have a prophet come to him and say, thus says the Lord. Now look at this. Remember that verse I told you before to remember? Inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel. I lifted you up out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel. Isn't that the same thing he said to Jeroboam? I lifted you up. I made you ruler. Didn't he do that through the words of a prophet? 
Didn't he do that through a calling that was on his life? He didn't just pop. This is important to know. You say, why are you making all that big deal about a missing prophecy? This is important to know. Because again, we're going to see the overall, the whole overall picture, and there's something here that's going to shock you. But you got to see this overall picture. Basha had a prophet show up, maybe even Jehu, had a prophet show up and told him, you're going to be, you're going to be in this position. You're going to be in this place. And he failed at the purpose for which God called him. He accomplished cutting off Jehoshaphat. But he does not eliminate the false worship. He does not eliminate the idolatry. He only accomplished killing the uh, the previous royal, royal heirs. That was it. So, and as much as I lifted you out of the dust and made you rule over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam, and have made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sins, surely I will take away the posterity of Basha, posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Here's verse 4. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Basha and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. We got the dogs and the birds involved in the line of Basha, just like we had the dogs and the birds in line with Jeroboam. Hmm. Now the rest of the acts of Basha, what he did and his might and all that they're written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel. So Basha rested with his fathers and was buried in Terza. Then Ella, his son, reigned in his place. And also the word Lord came to my, came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Basha and his house because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord and provoking him to anger with the work of his hands in being like the house of Jeroboam and because he killed them. Look at that. Because he killed them. Didn't God call him to kill them? So how does God punish him for accomplishing what he raised them up to do? Because there's a difference between doing what God called you to do with a, with a right heart and doing what God called you to do with a selfish one. And he did it with a selfish one. All he accomplished of all the things he was supposed to do, get rid of the idolatry, get rid of the false worship and wipe out the house of Jeroboam. All he accomplished was the one who was going to help him. That's it. The one that's going to keep him, make him king. All the other ones, people might get mad if I take away their idols. They might get mad if I take away the false worship. They might take me out of this, this place that God put me. I can't do that, but I can kill those ones. And so since he did it for the wrong purpose, with the wrong intent, God's punishment came upon him because of that. But keep this in mind. He was punished because of the killing that he did, because even though God wanted them to be executed, didn't want it done that way. Remember this part. Didn't God want Saul out of the way? Yeah, David knew, I'm not anointed to do that. So he stayed out of it. See also how wise he was? He knew better. All right, verse 9. Now his servant Zimri... Commander of, of half his chariots conspired against him as he was in Terza, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, stewards of his house in Terza. And Zimri went in and struck him and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it came to pass when he began to reign, as soon as he was seated on his throne, that he killed all the household of Basha. And he did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Basha, according to the word of the Lord, 
which he spoke against Basha by Jehu the prophet for all the sins of Basha and the sins of Elah, his son, by which they had sinned and by which they had made Israel sin in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? God called Basha. He does not fall by this by this punishment. His son does. There's a huge, huge thing. I've got this big chart and I didn't bring it over. No, we didn't have time for that. But you can see this big chart and you can see how all the kings of Israel died. And it's really interesting to see the big picture on this, this whole thing. Which one died of natural causes? Which ones were assassinated? Which ones were killed? It's, uh, it's, it's quite remarkable to see that. So anyway, verse 15. In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri had reigned in Terza seven days. Is Zimri called of God to be king? Not so we can see, is it? We don't see a prophet coming before him, anointing him, putting him in this place at all, do we? It's, there's nothing there. He just kind of, as it says here in verse 16, Now the people who were encamped heard it said, Zimri has conspired and has also killed the king. So all Israel made Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. Then Omri and all Israel went uh, with him, went up from Gibbethon. They besieged Terza. And it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and he died because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord and making the way of Jeroboam and walking in the way of Jeroboam and in his sins which he had committed to make Israel sin. Now the rest of the acts of Zimri and the treason he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Then the people of Israel divided were divided into two parts. Half of them followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath, to make him king, and the other half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibna, and the son of Ginnath. So Tibni died, and Omri reigned. What that basically means is there was war. And the winning side was Omri. And so he took the throne. But notice this, that Zimri does not have a call to take the position that he took. He does not have a call to take the purpose for which he took, which is to wipe out the previous reign. He took it. And he reigned seven days. And he was killed. Now the king before him, Basha, he didn't accomplish what he should do, but he had the call of God on him. He just didn't fulfill it all the way, but it protected him for his entire life. It wasn't until his son came up that that punishment came upon him. But Zimri didn't have the protection of that. If you take on a purpose for which God has not put on your life, dear Lord, God help you. There's a whole mess of people out there stepping into a prophet's role, stepping into a pastor's role, stepping into an apostle role. And God didn't call them. God didn't give them that purpose. You know what's going to happen? It is not going to be good. Do not take on a purpose for which God has not called you. On the flip side... If God has called you to a purpose, do not abandon it. <laughs> God's called you to a purpose. You need to make sure that you accomplish it. Do what he says to do. So in verse 23, in the 31st year of Asa, king of, of Judah, Omri became king over Israel, and he reigned 12 years, 6 years he reigned in Terza. And then he built Samaria, took Samaria, built that, and uh, he moved the, the capital of the northern kingdoms over to there. That was under Omri. Omri actually did a lot of 
very beneficial things for the kingdom. I cannot find any place where there was a prophet dispatched in the beginning or the end. He, we just kind of ignore him. And we go on to his son. Verse 30. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. And then he set up an altar for the Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hael of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Now it's put in there because apparently Ahab ordered this. He disregarded the things of God so much and he said, I don't care if God said not to build it. We want Jericho. We're going to build it. And he built it and he set up a guy to do it and he accepted the, the, the uh, job and he paid the penalty for it. Now in verse 1 of chapter 17, then Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven here. But I'm pretty sure this is not Elijah's first time on the scene. It's the first time we see him. So, how much interaction does Elijah have with Omri? I don't know. But you can also, you can already see that not all the interaction with prophets and kings is recorded. Because a very glaring thing is missing with the king of Basha. Or King Basha. So it is very possible that there is interaction with, with Elijah before with Omri and we just don't have it. But what is interesting to note is those, those houses that were called into the kingship lasted more than days. Those ones that were not did not last more than days, weeks, or months. They don't last very long, especially when you get to the end. Once you get to the end, in fact, I believe it is... Um, this one and one more. After this, God's done. There are still more kings, but God is done. And I'll show you why. Hopefully we get there. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Verse um, uh, verse 2. I'm not going to read over all this for you. I just want you to see a little bit of it. Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now you all know the story. He goes on out there. And the ravens come and they, they feed him. The whole place is under drought. There's no water. The crops aren't growing. People are starving. But God says to him, going out over there, I'm gonna, there's going to be water and I'm going to have the ravens, an unclean bird, bring the, uh, bring you food. Now, if you've been around for a little while, you, you know where the food came from. The food comes from Ahab. Ahab would set out as part of the worship to one of his gods. He would set out a table of food for the gods. And the ravens would come and they would swoop down and get it. It was kind of normal. Well, God commanded those ravens, instead of taking it back and eating it, to take it over to, to Elijah. And so Ahab, who is hunting Elijah, actually feeds him. I mean, it's wonderful. God just does this kind of stuff. And then when he hides him again, he hides him in the land of, of Sidon, which is where his wife came from. When they're looking all over for him, he's over in the Sidonians. 
He's hiding out in her hometown, home, home uh, country. They send out to all the countries, find Elijah. There she is, or there he is, right in her home place. And they can't find him. God is, he just messes with people. He says, you want to try and pick on me? You can't pick on me. <laughs> oh, he, he does something. If, if Ahab only knew, he was feeding, feeding him. But anyway, I, I read that for you to see this. The word of the Lord came to the prophet, and the prophet has to figure out what to do too. This first word that comes to him, it's pretty clear what to do. Go over by the river, drink from the water, watch for the ravens coming in. So when the ravens come in, they drop food. He doesn't say, where did this come from? They know God sent it. After a while, the brook dried up. The word of the Lord came to him in verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. That's the extent of the word. Arise from here, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Do you think Elijah is not is, is ignorant of the fact of where Jezebel comes from? How many of you would say, you want me to go, where? This is what the word says. Go to Sidon and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. That's the extent of the word. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. How does he know that this is the widow? I don't know that he does. I wonder if he had asked this question of other widows. But they weren't prepared. This one was prepared. She was ready. And so when he says, go make me a cake first, she tells him the story. I'm just going to have enough for, for one. And he says, look, go ahead and make me a cake first. And then bring it back. And when you go to make another one, the flour will not run out and the oil will continue on. That is not in the word of God. That is not in the word that God gave him. How does he know that? Because God told him that a widow was there. So he had to have acts of faith in what God said to be true. The same way we have to have acts of faith in what God prophesied would be true. So when he says that, that is an act of faith on his part. Because God nowhere said, tell her, I'll multiply the flower. We have the word. It's in quotes. <laughs> we have the word that God gave him. And it said nothing about flour and oil. But as we've already looked at with Jehoshaphat, you can see that the word does not always define the actions. But when the actions of faith start, what happens with God? Then God starts. When Jehoshaphat made an act, put the praises first. God didn't say put the praises first. But he made an action, put the praises first. We believe what God said. When he did that, as soon as the praises went out, God started doing it. And on this one, as soon as she made the act of faith, as soon as Elijah, or Elijah made his proclamation of faith, God began to work. So Elijah had to do the same thing that other people had to do. So let's go on. You can read the rest of that story if you want to. Again, we're looking for the overall picture here. Now in um, chapter 20, Ahab comes into a uh, uh, condemnation of death because he kills Naboth over the vineyard. And uh, Elijah finds him. And so in verse 20, 
So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and I will take cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation of which you have provoked me to anger. Notice who he left off? Zimri. Wasn't Zimri king? Wasn't Zimri's house wiped out? They didn't talk about him. You see, he didn't anoint him. You're going to see this, this pair is, is called on a number of times. Jeroboam and Basha. I called them both and I took them both out. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. Have we heard that before? But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up and he behaved very abominably and following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Can you imagine that God would take somebody as evil as Ahab and because he humbled himself, acted with mercy towards him? And the devil's trying to tell you that God's mad with you. See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity in his house. And that made Ahab happy. <laughs> so he, he got up and, and did things. But once again, this, this line is, is condemned. Now we've got to go on here. Again, we're looking at the whole picture. Second Kings chapter 9. And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready, take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Well, I'll tell you what, the whole mess we could do right there. I don't have time. <laughs> then take the flask of oil, pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not, do not delay. Now, that's not all he said to do. But it's shortened. Because we're going to get the rest of it here in just a little bit. But just understand, that's not all he said to do. The, the man who was sent doesn't ad lib. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. Do you remember just a few weeks ago, when Ahab died in battle, what he died in battle over? Ramoth Gilead. It was in the hands of Syria. Whose hands is it in now? It seems to be Israel, right? Yeah. More than likely, Omri took it. Omri was probably the one who, who took Ramoth Gilead back. It seems that whenever God has, has Israel go on missions like that, there's a prophet, there's someone working with them, someone telling them, someone giving them commissions on things. But we just don't have any record of it. So anyway, he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, for which one of us? And he said, for you, commander. 
Then he arose and went into the house and poured oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. Then he goes on. You shall strike down the house of Ahab your master that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. Only those two again. The dog shall eat Jezebel on the plot of the ground of Jezreel, and they shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. That's what he's told to do. Do this and get out. And so he did it and get out. You can read the rest of it if you want to. We're going to jump on down to verse 22. Now it happened when Jehoram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace? So he answered, What peace as long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many? Then Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, Treachery, Ahaziah. Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Jehoram between his arms and the arrow came out of his heart and he sank down in his chariot. That apparently was a feat. All this wouldn't have been made of it. Then Jehu said to Bikar, his captain, pick him up and throw him in the tract of the field, watch this, of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I were riding together behind Ahab his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his son, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now therefore take and throw him onto the plot of ground, according to the word of the Lord. He was tagging behind Ahab while Ahab was, was out there doing this, this sort of stuff. Jehu was in that group. And now he was called and commissioned to take Ahab's descendants out. Now look at this. This is one purpose that Jehu does. And I can't, I'm not going to spend time here, but we can go through. You'll see that with great, great zeal, Jehu wipes out anyone who was related to Ahab, including those in the south and including those in the north. Because when they had the intermarriage under Jehoshaphat, there are now descendants of Ahab down in the southern kingdom. And he goes down and he gets them. And he gets these guys. And he has the entire place afraid of Jehu. They're all scared. And if you read the rest of the story, you'll see uh, one, one place they gone. Two kings couldn't stand against this guy. How are we going to stand against him? Uh, let's do what he said. And so they do what they said and they kill the people that they, they wanted to kill. And... Uh, and they move on. But in chapter 10, verse 28, this, thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. And what that refers to is, Baal says, Ahab worshipped Baal a little, Jehu will worship him a lot. I want all the prophets of, of Baal. I want them all brought back in. Even though Elijah had wiped them all out, they apparently had built them back up again. He says, I want all of them in here. Let's get it. We're going to have a big ceremony for Baal. Like there hasn't been seen before. And so he brings them all into the temple. And he actually goes into the temple and begins the ceremony of the sacrifice. So they all see that he's there. And then he, while they're in there doing whatever they're doing, he sneaks out. And he got the army around them. And he goes, comes out to the army, the head of them. And he says, if anyone leaves here alive, I will require your life for those. 
So you make sure you kill them all. And they they collapsed on that place and they killed every single prophet of Baal. When when he got in there first, he, he gets in there and he says, now look, look around. Make sure that there's no prophets of Jehovah, uh, um, of the Lord in here. We don't want Jehovah prophets. We only want Baal prophets. Look around, make sure. They may have looked around and said, this, this guy, he's not a Baal. They got rid of all the ones that were for the Lord, kept the ones that were for Baal. And they, they wiped it out. Jehu eradicated Baal worship out of the northern tribes. He took care of Ahab, all his descendants, gone. Jezebel, gone. When he had Jezebel killed, he drove the, the, the chariot over top of her to make sure she's dead. Blood splattered. You can get more into that whole rest of that story. but So, here we have of the three things. Remember the three things? Whatever God has purposed for why he's called you to be king. Get rid of the Baal or get rid of the idolatrous worship and keep worship to God pure. He's done the first one with so much zeal. I don't think there was anyone left for Elisha to have to take care of. He took care of them all. He did wonderfully in that, in that area. The king of Syria was anointed late. I don't know how much he was even to get into the game. Verse 29. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord, God of Israel, with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who made Israel sin. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. And Hazael, who was the other one who was supposed to be anointed to help out with the wiping out of Ahab's house, conquered them all in territory of Israel, from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, Manasseh, from Aurora, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. So he accomplished two of those things. Purpose, wipe out Ahab's line. Get rid of all that. Get rid of the Baal worship. He did that. But he just did not get rid of all that false worship of God. Worshiping God in a false way. It could be the pressure that he felt from the people. I don't know what it was, but that's the only thing he didn't do. Now, after this, there are four royal lines that God never puts in place. And each one ends by assassination. But God never put a single one. After he anointed Jehu, that's it. He doesn't anoint anyone else to be king over the north. And he doesn't take anybody out. He takes, takes the whole nation out. He doesn't even mess with taking out the king. You pick whoever you want. You guys fight among yourselves. That was it. All right. So far we're running through, but we're doing okay. <laughs> what I want you to see here is this. Something that is missing in the prophecy against Jehu. In the prophecy against Jeroboam. What was going to happen to the descendants? Remember the dogs and the birds? Dogs and birds. Basha was raised up next. What happens to his descendants? Dogs and birds. Ahab was, uh, Omri came up next. What happened to their descendants? Dogs and birds. Jehu comes up next. What happens to his descendants? 
The dogs and the birds are left out. Doesn't that seem kind of strange to you? And God gave him a promise. Four will sit on your on the throne. What you have here is uh, his sons, Jehoaz, Je- Jehoash, sometimes called Joash, Jeroboam II. Actually, uh, they named one of the descendants there after Jeroboam. They all died of natural causes, though. Then Zechariah, who was the fourth, was executed by Shalom. But there were no dogs involved. <laughs> no dogs licked out the blood. No birds ate the flesh. So my mind goes to, what's the difference? The only difference between Jehu and the other people is that Jehu accomplished the purpose that God had because it was in God's heart. And he even makes mention of that. He accomplished all that was in my heart to do. And second, he eradicated idolatrous worship. He's the only one who did that. And because of it, God said to the fourth generation, he said, probably like all the other ones, um, if you do the right stuff, if you follow the right thing, I'll build your house. They didn't do it. Now we say all that to get here to the end. First off, know the words that God spoke. You've got to know what God spoke. What God spoke is what you need. You've got to take the words that God spoke. Don't mess with them. Don't pollute them. Don't corrupt them. Don't add to them. Take the words that God spoke and do exactly what he said to do. Those are the words that the, that the prophet would speak. As a prophet, it is imperative that prophets speak God's word clearly and make them known. It's imperative. Y'all notice you got a third, a, a second, third page. Someone's going to wipe all this stuff out. But I said, nah. I'll just go through and, and figure it out. And then the printer was acting up. You know how printers are, judge, are judged by how many pages per minute? Yeah, it switched over. It was how many minutes per page. <laughs> I don't know what got into it, but boy, it just was going slow for every one of these things. But it's imperative that the prophets speak God's word clearly and to make them known. So as a prophet, if I'm going to function in this ministry, I've got to get before the throne. I've got to hear those words. I either write them down. I've got to make sure that I say exactly what God said. As a prophet, that's what you need to do. They are, they are the reflective gift. Other ones, they can interpret. There's aspects of interpretation that will come along with the other four. But this one, no, they are a reflective gift. You've got to reflect exactly what's there. And the more pure you get in reflection, the more God can use you. We need to heed the words and the voice of God. If we're given a purpose, we are judged on how we fulfill that purpose or neglect it. So I want you to see all this together. Those people who fulfilled God's the purpose that God gave them because it was God's purpose, He treated them differently than those who fulfilled that purpose because of selfish reasons or didn't fulfill the purpose at all. We've got to take on the purposes that God has given us. If I say, well, God, I just didn't understand. That won't hold any water with God. God is always clear. He is always clear. Confusion only comes when perversion is permitted. Keep the perversion out. Make sure that word stays pure. That's why if you get woke up in the middle of the night and God gives you a word, speaks something to you, 
You better not say. Well, I'll write that down in the morning. You'll remember it wrong. You won't remember it all. You do not need five more minutes of sleep. You need what God spoke to you. God wakes you up and speaks something to you. You get up. Well, I don't want to wake other people in the house. Tough. (laughs) You better not be giving preference to the other people in your house over God. You get up. You go where you need to go. You do what you need to do. You know, I have to get up every, in the wintertime. I have to get up every single night. Every single night. I have to get up. Somewhere around two, three o'clock in the morning. I gotta get up, go downstairs, and put wood on the fire. Otherwise, it's gonna get very cold. So I have a little flashlight I keep by my, my bed. And it's got two modes on it that I can hit real, real quick. One mode is a red light. It doesn't take away your night vision and doesn't wake anybody else up. I hit that little red light up. I can get anywhere I need to go. And get on down there, put the wood on, come back up. Nobody gets disturbed. You can do something similar just like that. Get yourself a little flashlight. If you don't have one that's as low as mine, then just turn it on, put your finger over it. And just get yourself, get yourself out to a place where you can write it down. But do not neglect that. Because God is looking. When I give a word to somebody, who treats it with honor? Who treats it with honor? And when God sees you, and just know this, God will give you words at a very inconvenient time. Just to test you. Let's see how important this is to them. I don't know if it's happened for you, but God gives you word. But God, I'm driving. (laughs) Now, what I'm saying is, I really don't feel like pulling over right now. I mean, I could. But I really don't feel like pulling over. And when he first gave it to you, there was a spot you could have pulled right over. Now there isn't. See, if you would have obeyed right away, you could have done it. Don't, don't be messing with God. If God gives you a word, write it down. If you're not sure if God gave it to you, write it down. Figure it out later. <laughs> I'm telling you, write it down. Just get it down. There it is. I don't understand it. I can't write. Yes, you can. Write it down. Write down exactly what he said. I, but I don't understand. You'll understand it later. Write it down right now. Because I need to know exactly what he said. And if I remember it later, I'm going to interpret it. I will interpret it. And I will write down the interpretation. It won't be verbatim. you got to write down what he said. God will give purposes throughout your life. we got to take on those purposes. I cannot ignore them. Well, God, I don't want that purpose. It doesn't work so well when you don't take on the purpose that God has. you got to take on that purpose. Most people, when we get in, when we don't go after the purpose that God has for us, it's for selfish reasons. It's because, well, I want this or I, I will this. Different things like that will come up. Don't let them. When God gives a purpose to Jehu, when God gave a purpose to David, when God gave a purpose to Paul, there are those who need to come alongside to help accomplish that purpose. Paul did not accomplish the purpose of the apostleship he was given by himself. David did not accomplish the purpose of being king over Israel by himself. Jehu did not accomplish the purpose we read about him accomplishing by himself. He talks about the other people that are in his team that are going around. 
when God gives a purpose to a Jehu, when God gives a purpose to a David, when God gives a purpose to a Paul, whoever it might be, and other people come along and help in that purpose, they will receive the same reward that the other one does. Because they're all in there accomplishing it. Don't have time to get in all the scriptures that are involved with that. But there's nothing wrong with going on and helping out another person's purpose. God doesn't have to give... God, God's not going to make everybody king in the land. Jehu accepted the, the purpose. God didn't need to go out and find someone else. David accepted the purpose. He didn't need to go out and find someone else. Saul didn't accept the purpose. He went out and found somebody else. But once someone has accepted that purpose, then we need to come alongside and help that person out. Help that, that, uh, that thing go. Don't let the devil talk you out. Up, well, you're not doing nothing. No, you look at the church around here. How many people are involved? And not just here in the service, but you're involved elsewhere. We've, we started that, that project, giving you guys equipped with the little cards to go on out. Just because Christmas is over doesn't mean you can stop that. <laughs> Still going out there and do it. Find people in the parking lot. Love Mandy's idea. Go and find people in the parking lot instead of going in the store. I think it's even better. Though I found a couple people in the store and we had some great conversations in the store. Um, but you can, I think it's, it would work out great to find them on the parking lot too. But keep that up. You see, because our purpose is to go out there and bring people into the, into the kingdom. To bring people into the family. Every time that you go out, and you share Jesus with somebody. Every time you go out, you invite somebody to come to church with you. You're part of that purpose. You're accomplishing that purpose. I cannot be in the places where you are. You're there. You're there to accomplish those things. You're going to encounter people. And the word that you have learned through your interactions here is the word you're going to take on out. You're picking up that purpose. Stay with that purpose. We've got to stay diligent. We've got to stay faithful in the purpose that God's given us. You don't have to necessarily be lead all the time. And um, I, I think we're, we're done here on Sunday mornings on the prophet ministry. I'm not done with it. I mean, I've, oh, there's so much that's on. I'm so loved what's in the Word of God on this. But we're going to move on into another, another spot. But you see, the reason we had to dip into this, I don't know how, how attentive you are on some of the little things I let slip. But there was a, uh, I believe it was the... Uh, two weeks before we got into the prophet ministry. If you re- may remember, I said to you, I feel a, a leading to change direction. But I didn't change direction on that day, and I didn't change direction on the next day. But then I had to. And we just completely... We're not, we haven't scrapped everything that we want to do. It's just that we changed direction. We wanted to hear, because a lot was going on in the area of prophet's ministry, and you needed to know about it. And so there was an urgency on, on that part. So we're going to keep on going in and look at some of the other fivefold uh, ministry. But the next thing that we need to, we're going to look at is the pastor's ministry. Because it's, it's not understood, some of the aspects of it. So we're going to do the same thing we did here with the prophet's ministry. So that you understand the role of a pastor in the life of a person in the church. Because there's a lot of roles that pastors are doing that are not called to do. And there was something that dropped down in my spirit. I wrote it down, fortunately. <laughs> and I'll, I'll give it to you probably next week. But um, 
of, of things that go on, and this is why the church has gotten messed up on this, on this thing. But you see, you have to know what to glean from a pastor and what not to glean, what to expect and what not to expect. And we'll show you how that's gotten messed up. But I hope that on these couple of weeks that we've done this, that we changed how you look at the prophet's ministry. And that you don't see them as, a lot of them are weird. I will give you that. I've seen them up there. A lot of them are weird. They do weird things. They're in a ministry that no one else is, is, is like. You don't have to spend hours in the, in the prayer closet pursuing the word from God. That can, that can do something to you. <laughs> Take away some of your social etiquette. <laughs> You're in isolation a lot. And there's a lot of other things that, will, that affect them that way. But just understand what they're doing in the area of ministry is there to benefit you. Glean what you, what God has you to glean from them. But there's, there's purpose behind them. Jesus had purpose in his ministry. And he called people around him. And we don't ever question the importance of the disciples in the ministry of Jesus. We don't ever question the importance of the Timothys and the Tituses and the other people that were alongside with Paul. But we'll let the devil come in and tell us, I'm not that important. What I'm doing, not really all that, that big a deal. And because of that, it keeps me not doing things that God wants me to do. And God wants me to have purpose in. Would you all stand up with me? Today is our communion Sunday. And oh, does this ever reek of purpose. When you look, when you look at the things that Jesus did on this earth, Jesus came in to set people's doctrines straight and he taught them. Was that not an important aspect of Jesus' ministry? Jesus came in to demonstrate the will of God through healing and setting people free, casting out demons. Was that not an important part of his ministry? Jesus came in and exposed those that were false. Was that not an important part of Jesus' ministry? But what was the most important part of Jesus' ministry? The purpose for which he came which was to die on the cross for our sins and to offer up his blood for ours. That's why he came. That was his purpose. Understand there is purpose in why God has you here. There is a purpose to you being here. That purpose doesn't have to be, and of course it won't be, what Jesus was, to die on the cross. That person, that purpose will not be what Paul's purpose was, which was to take the gospel to people who never heard it. He had to take it to all parts of the world that hadn't even heard yet. But your purpose is important. And what happens is that God gives us one purpose to see how we do with it. And then he can give us another purpose. And then he can give us another. What happens is that we mix in our own stuff. 
Remember when Jesus was in the garden and he was praying, not my will, but your will be done. When you are pursuing the purpose that God has given you, when you are pursuing an assignment that the Father has handed you, how easy is it to alter it? To do something, that's not quite exactly what he said, but I think this will work. I like this better. We just change it just a little bit. And you see, most of us don't have the opportunity to develop that between God and us. So what God has done is I'm referring to stuff that I didn't get into today and I'm trying to keep myself from doing it. (laughs) What God has done is He has given us the ability to be faithful to other people. Jesus said, how can you be faithful with what is your own if you can't be faithful with what is another's? See, a lot of times we think we're faithful. But what we've done is, so-and-so says, this is how we need it done. And I said, well, I'll do it this way. We just change it a little bit. And you see, if you, if you get into the ones that we showed you with Ezekiel, you're going to see God needed a person who would hear what God said and would not change it. That's imperative. And in that one lesson, you're going to see something. He could have changed it. He could have altered it. He could have made it easier. But he didn't. As you're growing in your spiritual walk, God has given you purposes. And how faithful are we to those purposes? Or do we tweak them a little bit and make them more like I want to make them? Make them more like I want to do it. Make it more like... But don't do it. Don't do it. Brother Keith Moore would share a story when he would go over Brother Hagin's house. And I forget what it was that they were appealing. I think uh, later on the, his wife changed them on it. I think he thought it was tomatoes and I think she came back and said it was pineapples. But they were cutting pineapples and she cut pineapples the, the way that she'd always known to cut it. And Brother Higgins said, don't do it that way. And he told her how to cut the pineapples, which was different than how she was doing it. So she said, he cut the pineapples the way he wants. <laughs> so she did. But just something that little, that small, tells God their heart to accomplish the purpose not to do what they want and once we establish that then God can put more on us and more on us and more on us and more on us but there's a whole lot of Christians that are stuck because someone says well don't do it this way but then they go ahead and they do it that way See, if I can't follow instructions by somebody who gives me instructions how am I going to follow instructions from someone I don't see. How am I going to follow instructions from the Father? But you see, when Jesus was sent here to the earth, he was given instructions. There will come a day and you will be beaten for my people. Your blood will run and you will be nailed to a cross. People will despise you They will abuse you. 
They will say all manner of evil. But I need you to stay on that cross and take that penalty. And Jesus said, I will do it. And he came down and he lived his life for 33 and a half years. And he did what the Father said to do. What an example he is. Purpose. Know what God wants us to accomplish in this life. Dedicate everything you have to do it. As Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, remember. Remember, his body bore our sickness, bore our diseases. Let's eat together. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents my blood. It's poured out for you. All we need for the forgiveness of sins is the blood of Jesus. You don't need to feel sorry. You don't need to work sackcloth and ashes. He just says, repent and receive the forgiveness that comes from his blood. Let's drink together to remember. Father, I thank you for your love for us. So great that you sent your son here with a purpose. He accomplished many things along the way. But when the day came for him to accomplish the very purpose that you sent, he did it with everything in him. Many times people are being prepared for a purpose their life will have purpose is not in front of them right now but they're being trained they're being made ready so when that purpose when that day comes they are ready as you are preparing us getting us ready for the things that are still yet ahead I thank you that we yield to that preparation we yield to the words of your prophets we allow you to speak things into our life that maybe we don't see we don't understand but we know they came from you. And I thank you, Father, that once the prophets speak the words of God and we have faith in those words, that you bring things about. I give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.